So thank you everybody um, for coming. I'm Jason Bella Smith, and this is our photo book book group. And I am so excited. Mikhail was someone who I met at Photo Lucida. I think that was the first time in Oregon. And I got to um, uh, first at the portfolio walk, I witnessed the um, intense interest in your latest project, but we'll get to that later. And then I was so excited because he showed up at the review desk and I got to get into a deep dive just with him. And then it's been this, um, I don't know, I've just been loving following and um, it's a joy to watch people's concepts that they've worked so hard to birth into the world have this reception. And watching your last 10 months, it's just been such a joy. It's just tremendous. And um, yeah, I just, I, I should have pom-poms. I just cheerlead everyone along and I'm so happy to see what's happened for you. So, um, Mikhail, I don't go into a long introduction because people will either know you or look you up. Um, but this is what I wanted to say or what I thought um, when I think about you. You are a Nigerian, Swedish, queer photographer. You're an engineer. You're a Fulbright scholar. Um, and you found photography to be your voice in the darkness. And if I were to describe the darkness you were speaking of, it was the lack of a place or a safe space. Um, where you could actually be at home with all of the intersectionality that your identity encompasses. And because of owning your own experience, you began in 2013 to go on an odyssey, understanding A, you are not the only person experiencing this. I mean, you were courageous enough to make the connections in your life and then say, okay, I am not the first. So going out and finding the people that you did, that you portrayed both in, um, in, with portraiture and with text, um, began this Limitless Africans project that I believe is still ongoing and, and began, uh, I'm not sure where the book came to be in your process, but Basically, what we do here is we have an unscripted conversation um, about that process. So I, I welcome you. I'm really excited to unpack the book. I, I tried really hard, and I think I only have like three quotes that I'm going to have to share. But um, I just want to open it up to you. And I know that um, you used a really interesting way, and you put it that you found um, your place around the sun. So maybe we can start there. So welcome. Yeah, um, thank you again so much, everybody, for coming um, to discuss the work. Um, I have my copy of the book here, um, mm -hmm. Limitless Africans. And so the book, it uses a lot um, of my own research, which I did when I began the work. Um, so I actually double majored in biomedical engineering and history. So I wanted to start by really exploring the historical context behind the work. And so I started by doing about six to eight months of research around pre-colonial African sexuality and gender. Um, so I'd been hearing these messages from members of my family when I came out. I came out on MySpace in the early 2000s. Um, um, if anybody remembers MySpace, you could put your sexuality there. So I remember. And so some of my family members in Nigeria found that out and um, told me that being gay was not of our culture, that it was un-African and that these two identities could not 
coexist simultaneously in the same body. And I really fell into a big spiral of anxiety and depression um, over the course of my early years of college, really struggling with holding these two identities together. And um, mm -hmm. at that, a few months after that experience that I had with my family, which I detail in the, um, the um, prologue of the book, um, I found a camera. And the camera for me um, became my voice at a moment where I really felt completely voiceless. Um, I was able to express myself, I was able to explore story, engage with story as a space of um, self-exploration primarily and um, through the self exploring others. Um, so I first did a project in Taiwan and then when I came back from Taiwan, I began doing the research around this series. And so um, looking at the pre-colonial history, I think was so important to give a context behind what are the conditions that the people who are in the work why like why are they facing the struggles that they're facing you know versus just kind of taking it at face value you know being like mm -hmm. the face value t approach would be oh african communities are just naturally homophobic and hate gay people it's a very reductive statement but you know if you don't do the research it would be very easy you know approach to take um but actually looking at the historical context it was fascinating um learning about the rich history of pre-colonial identities and particularly here was that there were a myriad of identities um, that where people were, um, we can now could identify as being LGBTQ were on the African continent. So one example I love to bring up is of Nzinga, who was a mm -hmm. pretty famous, um, what's it called, queen in Angola in the 1600s. Nzinga led a 40 year war of resistance against the Portuguese um, a guerrilla war, was never defeated by the Portuguese, was really this badass black woman who just was like, you know, just messing the game up, just going and-, and, and Taking and no prizing, prisoners. Yeah, um, taking no prisoners, precisely. Um, the thing that's left out of Nzinga's story though, is that people, even though people, because she was a female ruler, people call her a queen, um, was actually that her title in her language was Ngola, which means king. And so Nzinga ruled dressed in all male clothing with a harem of young men dressed as women who were her wives in the 1600s. So it's like, it can be hard to make these kind of historical approximations, but imagine a African butch queen with a harem of drag queens leading a guerrilla war against Europeans in the 1600s. Why don't we hear these type of stories? You know, and so I realized that there was actually what had happened between, you know, this pre-colonial identities where you had this rich history across the continent of differential identities being really honored was colonization. Colonization erased progressively these identities over the course of centuries and then criminalized and punished people for, you know, being who they were. And so giving that, having that context behind me when I started interviewing people was so key so that I could also, first of all, approach the stories that they're telling me with a lot of compassion, you know, first of all, from a personal perspective, but also from a research perspective. Um, and then also, it also gave me a lot of compassion for my own family because I knew that the things that they were saying were not, they were not theirs, if you, if you will. You know, of course, people have agency in the way in which they actually deploy, you know, violent rhetoric, but that 
these ideas at the base come from European colonial ideals. And so they're actually, the things that they're saying are not actually rooted in African values. So even if they're saying that this is not African, what's, mm -hmm. what the definition of what's being African is being defined by an external gaze. And so I wanted here with my work to be able to define the gaze for myself and for my community within the optic of, you know, through photos, you know, to reclaim queer and trans African identities for ourselves on our own terms. And, and actually, um, I'm thinking a lot about revisionist history in the sense that um, when you're talking about what your family has owned, it's uh, the critical ability to see where that was or how that was established so that um, history is so uh, dependent on the um, who has the agency to say this is this history and the same thing can look very different and I'm thinking of the um, 1619 project from the New York Times in terms of being able to take slavery as a specific reality and show the real history and how the, the history that we hold to be true and is even in textbooks or learned is not the whole picture. So, so you are actually impacting history because you are bringing the narrative a wider lens. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a big hope um, is that by actually sharing stories um, mm -hmm. that are rooted in the actual voices of the community being able to speak for themselves instead of that being defined by other people speaking for us mm -hmm. that we can hopefully get something that um, you know the word inclusive inclusion can be a bit dicey but it, I think inclusive in the way in terms of you know the actual voices of the people who are being spoken about are included in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, it's interesting. There's a couple of things. I, I, will, I will move over to the um, slides that you shared um, so that we can look at some of the imagery. But having read the narrative, um, a common theme is exactly what you experienced, which is this isolation of a person grappling with owning their own identity in a way that makes them feel safe, uh, that they have a place. Um, and there's uh, the fact that they can have a voice at all, you know, is, is something that they've had to uh, search for and sometimes struggle for. I mean, it's still um, uh, as a result of the, uh, the history of colonialization, um, it's illegal in 33 countries within Africa to be gay. And I know that you spoke of um, uh, Zanela Maholi, the visual, the South African visual activist, as being someone who helped you to know of the identity and challenge it. Uh, their first project was actually chronicling um, lesbian hate crimes and funerals uh, that women were killed um, as a result of their chosen sexuality, and then went on to the um, what's still traveling now, which is the uh, Hail the Dark Lioness. Um, which is about her self-portraiture. Also, so much to learn from it. Uh, it's right now 
it's hanging in Harvard Square in uh, part of an exhibit that is unfortunately closed, but there's a, a virtual ability to go through that exhibit online at the Cooper Gallery at Harvard University. So I know that you um, spoke of her being a, um, a positive influence. And again, just like I believe that you are for other people, it's that light in the darkness that you are projecting. And you also mentioned, and then uh, Zunli wrote in your book. So can you talk about those early influences? Um, and uh, I'll go over to the slides in a minute, but go ahead. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, first of all, I wanted to give a shout out to one of the Limitless Africans participants who's actually on the Zoom call, Aru. Mm -hmm. Just wanted to say hi, Aru Lee, um, um, who's also in the included in the Limitless Africans book. Um, some of the, um, I would say like, during the course of the project, um, I think I would say the inspirations are kind of broken up into two different buckets. The um, first one would be that I was so inspired by working with all of the individuals that I, sh that I photographed. Um, they really inspired me to actually be able to own my identity. Mm -hmm. um, I sh photographed over 50 people in 10 different countries across North America, Europe, and the Caribbean. And I think um, with each interaction um, with these different LGBTQ African immigrants who are all navigating these spaces of identity, I was, as the photographer, I mean, I think it's really important to interrogate, you know, kind of what our, um, where we're coming from when we're actually producing the work. Mm. And for me, I was really struggling with, you know, how could I hold these two identities together? And mm -hmm. so with each photo shoot, my approach was being like, okay, how do, how does, how does Aru approach holding these two identities together? Mm -hmm. How does um, Jihan approach holding these two identities together? How does Toby do it? And so I think, um, it was this exploration kind of collaboratively. Yeah. But it was, for me, it was also, I was being able to see like, wait, oh my God, they're able to do it? Maybe I can do it too. And so I think there's that space of personal inspiration that I got from every interaction, which is why I think the book looks the way it does because of that collaboration that was there at the base. And I think backing up before that in terms of the photographic influences, Abznelli Maholi was really key for me because, um, when I first saw Zanelli's work in person, I was 23 and I had never seen an image of an LGBTQ African person before. And so I'd heard those things from my family as a teenager that it's un-African, you can't exist. And I didn't know anybody. There were no images of people who were LGBTQ and African that I saw. And so I think in that space, if you think, if you think about what does it mean when not only are you facing violence in society, but there are no mirrors or no accurate mirrors of you or your experience that exist. And oh. so seeing Nelly's work opened up a door for me to be like, not only to know that I was validated in my existence, but also to be like, wow, like Snelly has been able to do this. Maybe I can connect the dots to our experiences in diaspora. Yeah, I mean, the word that keeps like screaming in my head is erasure. I mean, literally think of that experience of feeling erased on a daily basis is, is crazy making, right? It's so, so hard. And the power of the image to imagine a different experience and, and, and future. I, I loved what um, Zunli said, the opposite 
opposite of visibility, the opposite of invisibility isn't visibility, it's belonging. And I think so much in each story of each person's uh, text in the book, it was, it was just profound, the search for acceptance and the, the varying ways in which people went about finding that. And I love hearing how the experience for you is almost self-fulfilling, right? That it, 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 you were going into a community and the community was feeding you and it's just this like exponential positive of being able to come out. I quoted someone, my book looks like this. It's like, I, I, I told you, I tried to be really, and this isn't all of them. I went back um, to, to not, to not, um, uh, to not um, you know, be constantly flipping between all my favorites. But I was thinking, um, so um, uh, one woman quoted Audre Lorde, and I'm just going to read the Audre Lorde quote because I think it's so um, foundational too. It's, if I didn't define myself for myself, I would be crunched into other people's fantasies for me and eaten alive. And I think that that's part of what we're going, doing. Like you are, you are showing us how people are defining themselves. And I also love, um, I'd be curious about, and um, we'll go over to the photographs in a second, but curious about um, aspects of the collaboration and, um, uh, where and how you decided um, the settings and then, I mean, there's so many things, I think of three <laughs> at the same time. So I think about, I'd love for you to talk about your structure because that's not in the slideshow, but um, uh, we can come back and I can show the book again, but the structure of how you photographed and on which day. Um, then the idea of the person being involved in the making of the image, like where were those decisions happening? And then thirdly, the edit, uh, thinking about which you finally decide. Um, and I'm curious also about the text. Um, you were doing so many things at the same time. So congratulations, that's not easy. Um, but I'd love to, to take a look into that. And let's hope this works because your download um, didn't work the way I wanted it to, but let's go explore if we can um, have it come up the way I want. Okay, I'm gonna try and go full screen. Nice. Great. So um, I gave you a lot right there, but it's this idea of here are some of the portraits and um, anything that you want to share about the making of and also the structure of the book. Um, it was very purposeful. Yeah, for sure. So like, we're gonna go through like a selection of images from the work. Um, this is a portrait of on the left is Brian. Brian's a queer Rwandan person in Montreal, Canada. And on the right is Alicia, a trans Burundian woman in Montreal as well. Um, here it was interesting kind of thinking about um, I was starting to kind of start transitioning with the work because I did a lot of a lot of individual portraits, like a lot. <laughs> like I think it was like dozens of individual portraits. And then at a certain point, I started realizing that um, one of the things as human beings that we do is that when we are in facing great challenges in our lives or great joy, we can and do turn to one another for support. So 
I wanted to start thinking about how I could explore the ideas of community and mm -hmm. um, how we work together um, to, you know, actually live full actualized lives. And so this is one of the early portraits from the series where I was exploring kind of the friendship between Alicia and Brian and how for them, um, they're really also really big leaders in the LGBTQ African community in Montreal. So thinking about what in terms of like leadership, how they're kind of marching at the forefront of a movement. And I think now actually looking at this image now, which is really interesting is that um, in Montreal, but in many, many places, you know, maybe there aren't a lot of people who are out or are able to be out. So maybe it feels like you're walking or marching alone. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you have just one person next to you, but you have a community, you know, and you're actually marching forward for a group, for a group, larger group. So interesting that you bring that up because um, I did not look at that image this way previously, but to think about that, like in my mind, that's very, very poignant to imagine, um, like all I can do is think of the pride parades uh, that I have been to in different countries, uh, not in Canada, but this idea that that street would be completely packed. Yeah. Like it's really wonderful to imagine that. Like, so it's interesting that the setup for this portrait was your desire to show community, but in doing it in this way, it's just got a really interesting life to think about uh, do that portrait today and see how many more people are in the street or something. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of people I met through the work were friends or friends of friends. Um, and so it's like, but, you know, pretty quickly, maybe you would have like a group of people would be like four people, you know, it's really small. Um, and so kind of, um, I think it's interesting kind of looking at the work retro, retro uh, and retrospectively like this, you know, cause this is in 2016 that this portrait was taken. So kind of, I feel like I'm seeing more things cause you know, when you're so deep right. in the work for so long, you can yeah. get a little lost. Yeah, and my first encounter, I mean, I've looked at it more than once, but I wasn't thinking, first of all, I didn't know they were leaders uh, in their community. Um, and it's just putting it in that context of being able to have a voice and to congregate. And I, I, I so I had not looked at this image with the idea of a public happening, celebrating queer and, and non-conforming, you know, genders and sexuality. So, so it's fun to revisit, as you said. Yeah, um, and that was right after, that was taken right after Pride Month too, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'll go through, if you like, um, uh, a little slowly, if you'd like to talk about the particular stories or people, or um, I'm thinking with you going to 10 countries, all the ways in which you had to um, make connection and enter these communities, uh, that's, that must have been a lot to research and, and make happen as well. Yeah, I, th I think the big thing... Um was when I began the work, I only knew two other LGBT African people um, in the United oh. States. Are you kidding? Yeah, I only, I didn't know anybody. <laughs> Which is part of the reason why I did the work, because I literally 
felt like I was alone. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow, I can't believe that. But first of all, I can't believe that that was your beginning. And then I'm just thinking about your last public appearance in New York. I know, I know, oh yeah. My gosh. At the last event in New York, I think it was, I don't know how many people came. I think it was February. Yeah, I'm not sure how many people came, but I think it was between 50 and 70 people who came to the event in New York. So it's like, oh, you go from like, to now having a community, it's very, very um, disorienting sometimes. Wow. But um, wow. yeah, what I did was actually finding people. I started by posting uh, online calls. I posted on Tumblr, Twitter, and I was in Facebook and I was like, is anybody out there? Anybody? <laughs> Literally. I hope you didn't try MySpace because that would have not yielded a ton. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's how I started getting connected to people. So you can also see in the work there's, uh, I think, which was interesting from a sequencing perspective, was that uh, working on it for six years, the project, including the final, like the, the book publication, mm -hmm. um, I was also growing a lot as a photographer over the course of the series and so um particularly the final set of portraits were done um in 2017 in europe so that last portrait that you saw there was of jihan 